Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. But before we go any further, um, good morning. My name's John. I know loads of you in the room, but some of you I don't. So um, just let you know a little bit about me. I've been around this church family for a couple of decades, which is like longer than some of you have been alive, so that's a bit awkward. But um, I... Um, I'm currently on the, the staff team here at Vine Life, married to Em, he's over here. Um, and one of the things I've been spending some of my time doing over the last sort of couple of years uh, is firstly my son, Asaf, joined a basketball team. Um, so, I, and I just, you know, I'm the sort of person, I, we went along for a few sessions and I was like, oh, I think I can get involved here. And then I, uh, I've ended up sort of, assistant coaching on his basketball team and then then I joined a basketball team um with some of the other other parents from his team and uh, I've somehow managed to find myself like organizing the team and sort of collecting money off people and working out who's playing on a Wednesday and a Saturday so I'm the sort of person I tend to just whatever I'm doing I tend to get my sleeves rolled up I tend to get stuck in and so when I come to the parables it's a bit of a challenge for me. Because sometimes I want Jesus to just say, look, this is what you need to do. Just get stuck in, get involved and do it. Sorry, Miles, I'm moving around a lot. I know you're trying to this way, that way. Okay. Um, just go wide. Um, anyway. Um, but Jesus' parables, they're not here just to give us some three keys to be more like a sower or, you know, five steps to living your most weed-free life. Like, <clears throat> as Ralph said last week, Jesus' parables are here to present us with a choice. They're here to change our perspective. They're here to provoke our imagination. And parables aren't simply allegories. They're not just like a code we can crack. Like, if we just know what something means, then we can work out what everything else means, and then we'll, then we'll get it. Like, Jesus is far more doing theology than he is doing teaching when he's telling these parables. He's using stories to capture your imagination, to get you in the world of the parable. All great art should make you feel something that you can't quite put your finger on. A songwriter, when they write a song, they're not just trying to transmit information to you. They're trying to get you to feel what they felt when they wanted to write that song. Right? In the same way, I think Jesus is inviting you in to these stories. He's not just saying, come and crack the code so you can understand, so you can feel better about yourself. He's saying, come and sit in this story of me. Come and hear what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus, at the time in history that he steps in, when God becomes a human, in the form of Jesus, he steps into this atmosphere where there were a lot of expectations. People were expecting this Messiah to come. People were expecting these people of Israel who were living under Roman occupation. They were waiting for a Messiah to come and smash the Romans on their head. But that's not what God gave them. In fact, it was far better than they could have imagined. So today, following in Jesus' footsteps, I'm hoping to do a bit more 
theology, or if that's a frightening word for you, I'm just hoping to get you to think and reflect a bit more than I am going to give you six steps to keep your garden free of weeds. Um, so we're going to sit in some of the tensions of this story because actually it has some tensions. It talks about judgment and fire. But like Jesus, I think efficiency is perhaps a bit overrated. And he's happy to speak in parables that require us to lean in and listen and reflect and maybe not do anything straight away. Um, Before we go into read this passage, I just want to give a shout out to this book. Um, It's called Kingdom, Peace and Judgment by Robert Farrakhapon. He was an Episcopal priest in New York, um, kind of through the kind of... 60s and 70s. Um, This is his reflections on paradox, outrage, and vindication in the parables of Jesus. It's not the most straightforward read you'll ever have, but it will challenge your perspectives. Um, I've certainly massively enjoyed having my perspective shaped a little bit. Oh, I got up there as well. Excellent work. Um, uh, I'm really, I'm about a third of the way through this. I've read about the the parables of the kingdom, and it's really just helped me think differently. and some of that I'm going to share this morning. I'm not going to quote directly from it, but I just want to say, like, I found it really helpful. Um, and if you want to find it helpful as well, feel free to go and uh, get yourself a copy. Anyway, let's jump in to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Um, Matthew chapter 13. Um, I've got the, the Christian Standard Bible. It's the translation that I really enjoy reading. Um, but let's, let's, let's read it. Um, so we start at verse 24. So Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So... Do you want us to go and pull them up? The servant asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Okay, we're going to keep going through Matthew 13, but I just want you to have, that's, that's the parable, that's the story that Jesus told. So a man sows wheat in his field, an enemy comes, sows weeds alongside. Some translations might say tears alongside the wheat. His servants say, should we, get rid of the, should we get rid of the weeds now? He says, no, wait, do it at harvest time. The weeds are going in the fire. The wheat's going to go in my barn. Okay. And then Jesus carries on. Right on time. Um, okay, that's good. Um, if you need, you want me to go quicker, Joel, just just a little bit faster, and I'll, I'll start speaking faster, and then we'll stay in time. Um, Jesus carries on. So using parables fulfills prophecy, this next little bit is titled. We're still in Matthew 13. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not, let them, he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. He's quoting um, Psalm 78, which is one of the best Psalms because it was written by Asaph. Um, so, although weirdly, he sort of, mis- Matthew does this quite a lot. 
I, ha- I don't know how I feel about it. He's kind of slightly misquoting the, the passage because Jesus um, says, yeah, I talk in parables because he says things like, because the secrets of the kingdom have been given to for you who know, but it's not been given to them. And then you read Psalm 78. It's about making stuff really clear to the next generation. So I don't quite know what Matthew's doing. Anyway, I'm just letting you know that tension's there in the text. But Jesus also says, whoever... This is earlier on in Matthew 13. Whoever has more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. And Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, and he goes on to quote Isaiah. But I wonder if Jesus is being maybe a bit more descriptive rather than prescriptive here. He's kind of saying, if you're prepared to enter the kingdom of heaven like a child, if you're prepared to suspend what you expected from Messiah, if you're prepared to see things the way that I see them, you're going to get it. But if you're just determined to see what you want out of me, you're not going to get it at all. So if you get it, you're, you're really going to get it. And if you don't, you're really not. Because like I said, the people were waiting for this king to come, this Messiah. And they were waiting for him to come and some kick some Roman butt. Like, that's who they wanted Jesus to be. But that's not the kind of king that Jesus came to be, was it? He, he was inviting them to reimagine what the kingdom of heaven looked like. And when we were singing about some of it this morning, that song, Behold What Love Can Do, um, that song's all about this upside-down kingdom that Jesus invites us to, or one that belongs to the poor and to the persecuted. A kingdom where every sad thing will eventually come untrue. Nice little Lord of the Rings reference in there. But it's not what the people expected. It's not the one the Pharisees thought they could usher in by keeping all the rules and making sure everyone lived in just the right way. It's not the kingdom that the zealots thought they could have by learn how to fight the Romans, not the kingdom that the Essenes thought they could have by just living a separate secret life somewhere else, hidden away from the rest of the world. It's a kingdom that's upside down that comes in an unexpected way by God becoming a human. And a workman from this like small, obscure town called Nazareth, he goes around preaching about the good news and demonstrating it by healing the sick, brings freedom to the oppressed, but he does not take up the sword. He offends the religious sensibilities of the Jewish leaders who eventually get him killed by the occupying authorities. And he's falsely charged and sentenced to this horrific and humiliating death on a cross. But as we know, the grave doesn't hold him. He, he comes back to life again. And he spends a bit more time with his like equally unimpressive friends. And then he just disappears off. And they're all left scratching their heads. And he even sends the Holy Spirit, like his very presence, to be with his followers. It's never what anyone expected. And in some ways, it didn't really seem to work, right? The world was in just as much of a mess as when Jesus had arrived. He hadn't driven the Romans out. Sure, he healed some people, but there was plenty more lepers and beggars and people with broken bones. 
there was still plenty of weeds among the wheat, right? But Jesus has something else to say about that. So a little bit later on in Matthew 13, he's told a couple of other parables um, about yeast and about, um, what else does he talk about? He talks about um, mustard seeds. um, And then he gives this interpretation. So in verse 36, it says, Jesus, it's got this little title, Jesus interprets the parable of the wheat and the weeds. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So just interestingly, he's also told, he's told two other parables in this time. He's told a parable about the mustard seeds. He's told the parable about yeast or leaven, your Bible might say. But they want to know about the weeds. Interesting. So he replies, and I think, I think Jesus gives a bit of a sigh here. Because he's been talking to the disciples about, like, if, if you're ready to understand, you're going to understand. Like, you, you've got everything you need to figure this out. But they ask him for an explanation of this parable in particular. So he replies, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seeds, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. So Jesus interprets this, or does he? Because he seemed to step in to this like code-cracking mode. He seemed to say, well, this just means this, this means this, and if you work that out, you've got it figured, right? But I don't think, I don't think that's actually really what he wants the disciples to discern from this parable. Like I said, they, they've been expecting this Jesus, even though they've heard the Sermon on the Mount, by this point, even though they've been with Jesus a while, I think inside they're thinking, we quite like the sound of this judgment stuff. We quite like the sound of those weeds being thrown into the fire. Can you tell us about that, Jesus? And he's like, well, if you want to, I can tell you about it. If you want to, yeah, sure. Yeah, the weeds, are the children of the evil one. Yes, the angels are going to gather them up and throw them in the fire at the end. But then he uses this phrase, let he who has ears listen. Or, you know, other translations might say, anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Jesus uses this phrase a couple of times, and so does the author of Revelation. And I think, I get the feeling this phrase, if you've got ears to hear, listen. What Jesus is saying is that there's more to what I've just said than what I've just said. You can read it on the surface if you want, but there's something under the surface. There's more to this going on than what I've just told you. I think Jesus is saying, sure, you can have the judgment if you want. 
If that's the bit you want to get excited about, knock yourself out. But you know what? The judgment doesn't really concern us anyway. It's very clear this is a task God gives to the angels, not to the wheat in the fields. It's very clear that this is a task for God and his angels. They're the ones that do the sorting. The fire happens. But right now, where we are, we're, we're the wheat that's got to live in the field with these weeds. So sure, judgment's coming at some point. But I don't really think that's what Jesus is asking us to lean into when he first tells this parable. The Bible does have plenty to say about judgment, about hell, about all of these sorts of things. In fact, a really good resource, if you want to kind of reflect on some of these, is this book. Um, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, Hope, Hell, and the New Jerusalem, by a guy called Brad Jerzak. You might have heard his name. He wrote some, he's written some great books for adults as well as for kids. And this is just a really beautiful kind of survey of everywhere the Bible talks about hell, what it might have meant to the first people listening in their cultural context, what it might mean to us now. Um, so go read that book. It's really, I lent it to someone, possibly in this room, and then they haven't given it back. So actually, really, this is just a thinly veiled sort of appeal to get my book back. Thanks. Um, anyway, go read that book um, if you want to know more about judgment, about hell, about hope, about the New Jerusalem. It's really fun. Anyway, I think Jesus just like rattles off this explanation. But I think Jesus is actually inviting us to dwell what it means for us to be the wheat in the field. You can, you, if, that, if the idea that Jesus said something that he didn't really mean like troubles you, you can just ignore the last few minutes and then we'll get on to talking about the wheat. But that's why I think Jesus is, um, he, I think that's why he explains it this way. So let's get back in the weeds, as it were. So Jesus tells, tells this story. And um, I think just one very quick surface observation from the top of it is that it's the enemy that comes and sows. In fact, I've got a lovely picture of some sort of middle-aged, middle-ages illustration of the enemy coming and sowing, um, sowing uh, weeds among the wheat. Maybe it looked like this. Maybe it didn't. Um, but... Yeah, it's got horns and like feet like a chicken and all st- kinds of things going on. But uh, again, like I think Jesus is saying, look, not everything in the world happens because God makes it happen. Sometimes an enemy comes in and makes stuff happen. Um, and again, just another resource if you want to explore how Christians have thought Christianly about the problem of evil, about theodicy, that's a fancy word for it, um, you can go check out this book. I haven't actually read this book, but I've listened to this dude's podcast series about it. Um, there's like about 17 or 18 hours of the problem of evil. Like, it's definitely not something we can sum up in, in one Sunday morning, and definitely not in just one point about a completely different parable. Um, but all I would say... This guy, Paul Anleitner, he's great. Listen to his podcast, read his book. Um, But all that I would say at this point is that not everything in the world is quite how God ordained it to be because there is an enemy that has sowed some stuff that God never put in the world in the first place. 
But let's get back in the weeds. So why, why would God wait? Why would God say, look, you need to live in this tension. You need to not pull up the weeds right now. Well, I think the first point, let me just check that. I've got these points in the right order. The first point is that weeds and wheat, they're really hard to tell apart. Weeds and wheat are really hard to tell apart. So we think that when Jesus is talking about weeds, um, like I said, some translations use the word tares. Um, but what he's probably referring to is this stuff called darnel, which is false wheat. I've got a picture of which one is which. Like, so on the left, this is wheat. On the right, this is darnel, which is called false wheat in um, certain parts of the world. So when this stuff grows alongside the crop that you want, it's actually really hard to tell one from the other when it's growing. It's only right at the end, right at the harvest time, when the wheat goes golden, that you know that's the right stuff and this stuff is not the stuff you want. And actually, if you ingest that stuff in very small quantities, it'll make you feel a bit drunk. In larger quantities, it will kill you. So um, don't do that. But it's really hard to discern between the wheat and the weeds while they're still growing. That's why the judgment comes at the end, I think. Maybe that's why there's not a judgment straight away. And the thing, the other reason that we need to withhold judgment is because we were all weeds once. Ephesians the reference has dropped off here, but it'll be on the screen in a second. Um, Ephesians says, in one of the chapters, thanks, Miles, for helping me out. Has it dropped off there as well? Oh, never mind. Um, keep clicking. There you go. Ephesians 2. I just don't want to, like, wave a hand and pretend I've read the Bible, and then you can't go look it up. Um, Ephesians 2 tells us that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins in which he previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the rule of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in the trespasses. You are saved by grace. So all of us, at one time or another, we've all had to come to Jesus, receive his grace, receive his free gift of life, made possible through his death and his resurrection. We've all, if we're honest, been a weed at some point in our lives. And because we've said yes to Jesus, he now counts us as wheat. We've all been there, no matter what our story. For some of us, that might have been really early on in our life. For others of us, it might have been last week. But we've all moved from death to life. And if we can move from death to life, maybe there's other people that can move from death to life. Maybe there's hope for the weeds yet. I think Jesus is also 
he's saying something about forgiveness here. Something about forgiving the weeds is important. Now, I just want to say, I am not a Greek speaker. But I do really enjoy wrestling with um, kind of how the Bible interprets different words. And I would say, firstly, um, Bible interpreters have a very tough job on their hands. Um, and for the most part, they're trying to give us a faithful translation that's both literally true and makes sense to us as well. You know, I probably think there's a few Bible translations that could get cast into the fire with the, with the weeds, but I won't tell you what those are. Come and talk to me afterwards. Um, and just the best Bible translation is the one you actually read um, as a start. But sometimes in Greek there are words that have multiple meanings. So when the writer of Matthew came to write down these words of Jesus, obviously Jesus spoke them probably in Aramaic, so then he had to translate them into Greek, and then they're written down for us. And lots of Greek words have like multiple meanings. So in verse 30, when the farmer says, let, let these both grow together until the harvest, this word for like, let them grow, is this word called afit. Um, and that comes from the same root word as this word called afiemi. Now the word afiemi is most commonly translated as forgive. So when Jesus is teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer, he's saying, forgive us our sins. It's that same word, afiemi. Or when he's hanging on the cross and he says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. It's the same word. So there's something about grace and forgiveness that means he's holding off from pulling up this wheat right now, hey, pulling up these weeds right now. There's something of forgiveness in why those things are allowed to coexist. It's not simply, oh, we'll just deal with it later. There's a posture of forgiveness, of patience and of kindness in allowing them to wait. Because God is being patient. You know, 2 Peter 3 is another passage all about judgment and fire. And again, if that's your thing, you can go read it later. But in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, the Lord does not delay in his promise. That's his promise to, to come back and put everything right. As some understand delay. But is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So God allows these things to coexist because maybe he hopes, maybe he's got this desire that he wouldn't lose any of the weeds, that it will become wheat one day. And there's something about his patience and his forgiveness going on. And God's been kind. Romans chapter 2. Again, passage about judgment but if we're ready to find the kindness and the forgiveness and the patience it's there in amongst these themes of judgment it says therefore every one of you who judges is without excuse he's saying don't judge one another and don't judge the rest of the world when you judge one another you condemn yourself since you the judge do the same things now we know God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth do you think 
any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you would escape God's judgment, or you despise the richness of his kindness, his restraint, his patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. There's something going on while the wheat and the weeds are growing together. That's to do with God's kindness. He would draw us with kindness, not with a threat of judgment, but with a promise that we could be with him. So just thinking about all of those things together. If we are the children of the kingdom that God's sown into this field, and we find ourselves surrounded by weeds. We find ourselves surrounded not just by people, but situations that are things that maybe someone else has sowed in there. Maybe an enemy's come and sowed in there. Stuff that God did not intend to have in the world around us. The sad things that haven't yet come untrue. What kind of posture can we adopt to the world around us? I think firstly, our posture to the world around us has to be non-judgmental. Because we get to leave that to God and his angels to happen at the right time. I think our posture has to be one of humility, remembering that, do you know what? We were once weeds too. It's only by God's grace that he's invited me into his kingdom. And I think we have to be patient and kind and ready to forgive. Just like God is. That's his attitude towards us, and it's his attitude towards the world. He doesn't want anyone to perish, it says. He wants to draw them with his kindness to repentance. Repentance is absolutely required, but it's his kindness that draws us there. So like I said, today was it's probably less about application than it is about theology, about thinking about what God is like. So I'm not going to give you three steps to live a less judgmental life. I'll leave that to you. Um, but I just want to invite you to reflect. I want to invite you to reflect on what it would look like for you to live a non live with a non-judgmental posture to the world to live with a humble posture to the world to live with a patient and kind posture that means you're ready to forgive and in saying that I'm not saying let's be passive let's not stand up for the rights of those who are being threatened let's not stand up for the vulnerable absolutely those are people that we need to stand up for but we do that with kindness, with patience, with speaking out the truth in humility. And I wonder if we can continue to embody these attitudes, adopt these postures. I wonder if we do that. Not only will we find ourselves a little bit less stressed, a little bit less worried about what's happening in the world around us. But we'll find that a little bit more of the kingdom breaks out around us as well. I want to pray for you.
Jesus, some of what you said was really confusing and really challenging. I just confess that, at least on my behalf, maybe on the behalf of my friends in this room. The way you invite us to live in the world is a challenge. But Jesus, we want to adopt the postures that you invite us to. We want to embrace the attitudes that you call us to. God, would you help us to consider, to reflect what it looks like to live with openness to the world around us. Lord, that doesn't cut ourselves off from the rest of the world. That doesn't leave us feeling like we need to police the rest of the world, but lives with patient hope that you would draw everyone to yourself through your kindness, through your grace, through your mercy. Lord, that the harvest that comes would be bigger and more bountiful than we could ever imagine. Lord, that you would transfer those in the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, just as you have done for each of us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each one of us? Would you convict us of where we've not reflected your kingdom? Would you show us how to put it right? And God, we trust you for the outcome. Even though not everything is good right now, one day it will be. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless. See you soon.